You're listening to Venture in the South, exploring the startup ecosystem in the Southern U.S. We're searching for innovation to make money, have fun, and do good. Welcome back to Venture in the South, a podcast about angel investing and early stage capital in the Southeast United States. In this week's episode, I am here with Cutler Nutt. Cutler is a recent joiner to Venture South and is an unusual kind of investor. I'll let him give you his background and talk about why that's a slightly unusual kind of investor, but thought it would be interesting for listeners to hear a bit about a different kind of early stage investing than the things that we do at Venture South every day. So Cutler, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'll start with a softball question. Can you just give us a little bit of background about you and your company? Yeah, for sure. I traditional finance background coming up, graduating from Kennesaw State University in, in Atlanta and started my career in the path of corporate development. So M&A, software, IT services was the core, deploying a typical roll-up strategy, bringing in private equity uh, to back a platform, and then eventually building that to meaningful size and then exiting on that and then transitioned from, from that to the current role of leading the corporate venture arm of the Haskell company, Disrupt Tech. So did some venture kind of early on prior to prior to that. So it's always been of interest. So kind of cool seeing it come full circle. Yeah, real quick in Haskell, design, build, engineering contractor out of Jacksonville, Florida. Projects all over the globe, mostly industrial manufacturing, process, packaging. We do some aerospace, maritime, and some defense work as well. So a little bit about Haskell, about 2,000 people, engineers, architects, designers, builders, kind of all under one roof, streamline the process of engineering, designing, and building. Okay, got it. So why does a multinational world-leading engineering company want to have a you know startup corporate VC arm? If your listener base hasn't had any exposure to the building themselves, which may be a small renovation project, they're building a house or something along those lines, they've had some decent exposure to the complexities and the challenges and the frustrations that come with designing and engineering and building anything really. And there has been kind of lack of any sort of meaningful improvements utilizing technology and, and digital digital workflows. And so this is really catching up to the industry in a pretty pretty significant way as of recent. So Disrupt Tech was established to really capture what the five, seven, 10-year horizon looks like for the enterprise, start early with working with those promising companies and getting them integrated into the business where they can provide value to the projects that we deliver. So you know, ideally leveraging that as the competitive advantage for Haskell. Okay, got it. So you could partner with those companies in a commercial way. So why do you why do you choose to do that? but also invest in them? What's the extra advantage of investing in them? Well, we believe that our industry is going to undergo substantial change and look very different in the 20, 30 years into the future. And for us to participate, we not only want to be leveraging those new technologies in our business and continuing to adapt how we, you know, how we design and build, but also to capture the upside from from investment perspective. Okay, so it's both strategic and using the technology, but also like financially motivated return on capital and time for you. Absolutely, yes. And and I would add that in our space, with the type of technologies that are coming in, there's a lot of education that needs to take place around it, and especially tools that are deployed into the field to to make our projects better. So you really need that strategic base. So we're also learning and we are, we're taking the hits early on to make ourselves better by integrating this deeper than just a partner, right? So if something doesn't work 
and you're trying to work out a partnership, you can just kind of cut ties accordingly and 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 move on. But if you really do have that belief that you know putting your money where your mouth is obviously kind of establishes a firmer foundation there, and you're you're less likely to just give up when things kind of become challenging or whatnot, right? Okay, got it. Yeah. So this isn't theoretical. You've invested in a in a bunch of companies already out of Disrupt Tech, right? Yes. Yes. So. Uh, so what, what kinds of companies have you or, or are you trying to invest in? Yeah. So today we've deployed coming on 30 million in nine different companies and a couple funds. And we are focused mainly on anything in the building lifecycle from architecture, design, engineering, and construction. So the, what we're doing is my team, small team of about four people. We're going into the business and we're identifying those pain points and challenges for the different BUs in the organization. And we are aligning them with technologies and solutions that could solve for those challenges that our business is facing. Okay, got it. So those are pretty significant checks, $3 million each on average. What's the, what does the company have to look like in terms of traction and, and maturity to, to get into your pipeline and on your radar? Yeah. For sure. So there has to be the strategic need, kind of that's that's front and center. We when we were early, we started as we had to really work with the company as part of the diligence process in some form or fashion, whether they're revenue revenue producing or not. But then eventually we understood that from the investment lens, we can't always time our project lifecycle with the timing of the funding that the company rounds going through, et cetera. So we realized that, you know, we had to expand our breadth there. But typically, you know, we're, we're working with companies that have that have an application or are building an application that solves for our needs. But to answer your question about what where they're at in their life cycle, um, ideally they have a have a product. And, you know, I think the earliest stuff we're looking at is coming through the venture south ecosystem, which is which is interesting. But we're typically in the seed A, and we will support some of those companies follow on into later rounds as well. But typically, the seed and A is the sweet spot for us. And our typical check size, we're looking anywhere between 500 and a million and a half on average. So some of the fund investments skew that deployed capital, but. Okay, got it. And so is the ultimate end game on these investments uh, sort of the traditional VC route where they raise more money and IPO one day, or are you hoping that you get to acquire these companies as they mature and provide strategic value to you? Yeah, so the typical kind of exit path that we are looking for from most of the portfolio companies are going to be in the route of being acquired, maybe not necessarily through through Haskell, but through the broader the broader network, IPO as well. Obviously, those we're not seeing a ton ton of those as of recent, but we've seen some some significant successes in the past with that. But we are opportunistically looking at all these companies as something that we could possibly be the owner of in the future, but we really come into it with our eyes wide open and saying that there's there's a lot to learn, there's a lot to improve in how we design and build as an industry holistically, and there's plenty of plenty of paths forward for these companies to be successful. Okay, got it. If a company is looking to come to you for funding, is there extra things they should know that they perhaps aren't thinking about when they're approaching angels or generalist VCs as opposed to you as a corporate VC? Yeah, there there are some differences. I would say that when when they are approaching strategics for funding, they're typically looking to leverage the the logos and the experience with those companies as a as an early indicator for success to to that investor base or that prospective investor base, which we we support all that, right? Um, but at the same time, 
knowing that we are a corporate at our core. And so it tends to be slower moving at times. There's a fair amount of bureaucracy that just comes comes with the corporate environment that maybe is not traditional for the for the smaller VCs, but really you're looking for to demonstrate traction, right? And and also a commitment from those strategic partners that can really accelerate the the business plan that those companies are working on. So, you know, pro pro and con with that, right? But we, you know, once you can get in the door here, you've got a team at Disrupt Tech that helps to kind of evangelize and stand up the solution on projects to validate that ROI. And ideally you get a couple wins and then you know you have several hundred projects to scale to. So, you know, in, in a multi-billion dollar organization that's now now a um, significant enterprise client of your of your solution, right? Yeah, I can see that would be a very compelling advantage for for partnering with with a with you if you're a startup for sure. One of the concerns sometimes entrepreneurs have is sharing secret source, and they're usually comfortable sharing it with me because I can't do anything with that source probably. But you probably could if it's secret source in your space. So how do you handle that concern about sort of you know keeping the intellectual property secure for the startup and you know handling conflicts of interest and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we do the best we can to address what those major concerns are on the front end to make sure that we are respecting what proprietary means the the company is building on. We're not here to go and rip off the little guy and and you know run away with with all the jewels, right? Either. So, I mean, we know inherently that if we were able to do a better job of disrupting ourselves internally and building building solutions that are advancing not just our enterprise but the industry holistically, we would have been doing this for some time now. So staying in our lane and really understanding what we're good at, which is knowing how to design, build and deliver and letting the startups do the job of saying like what the future looks like and building those next gen platforms that we're going to be using to run our projects on. So, you know, it's it's always a question. It's also a question that comes up when companies are saying, you know, well, if we have X strategic partner on the cap table, does that limit our exit opportunities? Etc. And there are general means there that can limit some of that. So, you know, you just don't want to have a significant portion of ownership from a strategic right. There's kind of thresholds there that, you know, folks can get comfortable with. Typically, when the company is very early, what we found, especially in our in our space of construction technology, it's it's not really viewed, it's viewed a bit differently than in other spaces. So I'm not quite as unsettling if you know you have some proprietary technology that a Ford is a strategic investor in and you're trying to maybe exit to GM, something along those lines, right? So we typically take in a small portion on the cap table and very supportive and open and how we're planning to work with them and how we work with them. But addressing those concerns up front is, is key. Maybe you're interested in venture, but you struggle with quality deal flow. The Rolling South Fund invites accredited investors to our no-cost membership, providing monthly updates on high-quality single companies, a rolling fund of several companies per quarter, and several traditional fund options. And remember, we only make money if you do. Do you try to lead and price rounds, or do you try to follow other people that do the sort of VC, I guess, work on a deal? Yeah, absolutely. We we definitely lean lean heavy on our partners for for not only just 
you know, deal flow means now we built a good brand. So we get a much more direct flow into in Disruptech than, than when we originally kind of first got off the ground. But we're typically leaning on our partners to, to price those rounds, especially when we're doing, you know, pretty small checks in and they're pretty early companies. And we're staying in our lane and just understanding that, you know, we are the sandbox where that company can get in the door and start really enhancing what they're building already, right? At a, at a much more rapid pace. And that's what we really bring to the table more so than the day-to-day industry expertise of, you know, what where this round needs to be priced and what the what the actual venture market is kind of driving for that, right? So we typically try to leave that to the experts. If it's a much larger strategic opportunity, then we would consider leading rounds. But typically we're going to just follow our contributors as part of the part of the stack. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So how do you know if you're doing a good job with your uh, your activity? Yeah, absolutely. This is the uh, this is the million dollar question, right? And and it varies dramatically by enterprise. At the beginning of the year, we go out and set set our OKRs, objectives, and key results, aligning both you know financial and strategic objectives of the company. And then there's obviously multiple intangibles as kind of part of those OKRs. But it really it combines both portfolio performance, performance of the of the direct investments that we're making, and also of the strategic impact that we're having in the organization, right? So how many projects we're touching, what problems we're solving, and the results of such. So we try to just be, again, even internally as transparent as possible, right? We are constantly coming out with the case studies of what's worked, what hasn't worked, and sharing that with our organization. So everybody gets the benefit of all those learnings that we're going through at that time. So Okay, great. That's probably a little harder to track than for a generalist VC fund. I mean, all we're really tracking is ROI and, you know, IRR and return metrics, but you have a you have that, but also the real impact metrics to try to quantify and track. Absolutely, yes. And and when you think about it as well, like, you know, we're we're typically, like I said, you know, we will over time gain a, a larger ownership position in some of these companies that are that are successful through through follow-ons. But early on, you know, these these checks aren't taking massive positions in these companies. And so the financial performance of the dollars deployed is obviously important, but the larger opportunities in the ROI and the, the net benefit that the enterprise is receiving for delivering higher quality on time, you know, better safety records, et cetera, winning, winning advanced work, things along those lines that really mesh into that kind of metric that's that's a hybrid of both strategic and financial performance ratings. Okay, got it. I guess the good news is a VC doesn't know if they've done a good job for five to 10 years. You probably see the impact metrics at least pretty immediately and maybe not immediately, but pretty quickly once you see how, how the companies are working with the rest of your teams, right? Yes, absolutely. For sure. And I think that's a, that's a great indicator. And that's why a lot of our, our venture partners enjoy working with us as well is because we're pretty candid to get that feedback. And to your point, you know, we can, we can uncover real true customer feedback from the, from the horse's mouth pretty, pretty quickly. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very cool. One of the things that I like about Venture South is it's very easy for me to say no to companies that are not in the Southeast. That's our main filter. You probably get incoming deal flow from a much wider region and probably internationally too. How do you how do you triage that incoming deal flow? Yeah, for sure. So we typically try to stay in our lane so we know we do well and we know our markets well and we know kind of what our problems are that we're trying to solve in the business. So that's the biggest stage gate for us when when we're looking at deal flow. But to your point, a lot of interesting companies are coming from all over, right? We're seeing more coming out of Asia. There's 
new budding companies coming out of India, Africa, et cetera. So really it's coming from all over. And, you know, we're, we're looking, making sure there's the alignment with the problem set, like I mentioned, but also we're digging into what the team's background is and, and where it makes sense for us and also how quickly they can get deployed to, to the U.S., right? I mean, our GDP is just much more significant than, than a lot of nations where these founders are building. And so they obviously want to get their foot in the door in the U.S., but it's like, you know, if the team's not willing to relocate or if they don't have some presence or footprint here in the U.S. when they can get on some projects, you know, locally, I mean, if we happen to have a project in their region, then that's great. But typically that's kind of few and far between the alignment there. So yeah, those are kind of the bigger things, right? So we have to be able to kick the tires on it really ourselves. So how quickly can they get on a project? Okay, great. I've really enjoyed having a resource around Venture South. I can send all construction technology companies to, and you can tell me immediately if it's a good idea or not. So that's great for, for me personally to have some experts in, in that space. Hopefully, I guess the flip side for you is you perhaps get more generalist VCs and other partners that can send you stuff that might be a fit that perhaps wouldn't have thought to reach out to you directly. Is is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's how it works, right? Because there's there's things that you're even crossing over from like operations and maintenance in the prop tech arena that kind of lands in the in the construction tech. So there's a lot of synergy between those two kind of arenas. But outside of that, a lot of generalist investors are also seeing, you know, the upside or the growth in, in uh, founders building building something in the space of construction engineering or, or property. So Okay, great. What's your goal for deploying capital this year? And given the sort of challenges in the wider, especially later stage VC market, does that impact any of this or is your lane clear and your strategic mandate sort of unchanging despite what's going on in the wider market? Yeah, for sure. So un- unwavering is probably the best best way to describe it. Fortunately, we've got a solid leadership team that's very committed to what we're doing. That typically tends to be the biggest threat to corporate venture is the overall fan of these corporate venture units, right? Because multitude of things, but you know, obviously challenging at times to, to show the value appropriately and correctly and then market cycles right so if things shift dramatically you know one of the easier things to to cut at times is is sort of the the venture unit right or the innovation organization which is sad but that's kind of the reality of things but again unwavering leadership helps kind of eliminate that but when it comes down to the market and and what we're seeing today you know i'd say that we took our foot off the gas a little bit just you know kind of driving some uncertainties and also we've been seeing sort of a a lull in new and exciting builders coming into the space for whatever reason, or they're basically building mimic products off companies that have been successful, where it's like, we already have enough of those. Why aren't you building something new? Right. And so combination of those things that capital deployment has been relatively slow for this year. We've only made we've only made one investment so far and we're, you know, halfway through the year, but we typically average about three to four. And so you know, we'll see how this shakes out, but I think also it's been a healthy reset around valuations and expectations too. So, you know, uh, we're we're highly optimistic about the future, and we know this is just kind of just part of it, right? And we had a we had a pretty easy money cycle for for quite some time, and you know, we weren't ignorant to the fact that eventually this was going to you know have some ramifications later on with rates, et cetera. So, right now we're doing a lot of supporting the existing portfolio, and making sure these companies that have been working very hard at the last few years to build good traction just don't die on the vine because of the fundraising environment they're exposed to, right? That they really continue to thrive and they'll come out of this thing on the back end screaming, hopefully. Great, Carla. Thank you. really appreciate you not just being on the show, but for all the work you're doing to keep funding startups in challenging times and uh, growing Haskell as well. So thank you for your time today.
Absolutely. Thank you, Paul, and for all the great work of your team at Venture South. This pod is supported by the Rolling South Fund and Venture Carolina, a nonprofit focused on entrepreneur investor education. We invite you to connect with suggestions and feedback. Follow David and Paul on LinkedIn or via contacts in the show notes.